a Motorsport Podcast Network production. G'day everybody, it's Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with us. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Before we get stuck into this episode, a quick mention, every Tuesday, the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast with Andrew Van Leeuwen and Stefan Bartholomeus. It's the latest for your news and views on Australian and world motorsport. And I'm back every Thursday with Repco Supercars Weekly as well. But this podcast is the first of a two-parter with the man who was our very first guest back in May 2019 when we started the podcast, John Bow. Now, back then, uh, we sat in different chairs, actually. We just swapped chairs this time. But it's plenty new in terms of the chat. Lots of great stories, lots of great content. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. In part one, he tells stories about a bunch of stuff, including growing up in Tasmania, his days at school, spending a lot of time outside the deputy headmaster's office, it should be mentioned, uh, and also watching racing at the famous Longford Road Circuit as well. We talk about how he got into racing himself and why he went with open wheelers instead of touring cars. We also talk about why he remembers where he was the day that Elvis Presley died. 1977, he remembers where he was because of racing. You'll hear the story in this pod. Of course, we talk about the Swedish block of flats, the Volvo 240 Turbo Group A car, and the mighty Viscanda sports car. So here we go, buckle up. Time to start part one. John Bow on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Well, he is the guest that kicked us off on episode one of the V8 Sleuth podcast. It is still the most downloaded episode in the history of the V8 Sleuth podcast. And I thought for Ep 189, I'd get the 1989, see what I did there, yeah. Bathurst 1000 winner John Bow back in the studio. Welcome back, JB. Thank you, Aaron. It's amazing, isn't it? It only honestly seems like yesterday that we sat here and did the same thing, except I was on the other side and you were this side. So <laughs> We've swapped the chairs so on the So we swapped the chairs around. We've had a, a global pandemic. We've had, we've had <laughs> a, a lot of We've had since, a lot of drama, haven't Since we? we started this back in 2019. But yeah. uh, the good thing is we didn't even come close to touching on everything because we covered and jumped around a bunch of different topics. Yep. So I thought we've got some um, questions that You're very come well in prepared from our, there, I oh, can yeah, see. Oh, yeah, I've got some notes. Don't I worry. Yeah, come you're prepared. not like me. You don't just wing it. Uh, I've winged a few things in your time, but the great skill, JB, is making it look like you're not winging it when you're winging it. That's true. So one thing we didn't talk about last time, when you're a young bloke in Tassie, so you grew up in Devonport. Yes. We uh, common thread I find when I talk to racing drivers, whether they're currently the, the young crop of supercars coming through, the, the veteran guys, whenever I talk to them about when they were a kid, it's kind of that school report of, could do better, should listen more, should try harder. Were you one of those as well? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Right. Absolutely. So, so you're the I next can, one on the list. Okay. I can still, you know, picture my poor mum who's since left us uh, at the, at the uh, doing the washing up saying, I got your report today and I'm, you know, really disappointed in you because you didn't do what I think you can do. You know, I mean, I was always in trouble, always Not out. fulfilling potential. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. I wasn't a, a – I was naughty slightly, I guess, uh, which I've probably continued through most of my life, <laughs> <laughs> although I'm certainly cured now. But um, I was, uh, yeah, just a, a, a rascal, a rascal, and spent a lot of my time outside the deputy headmaster's uh, office at Devonport High and prior to that at Nixon Street Primary, which which my kids went to. Uh, 
And what was the main offence? What were you always in trouble being for? Being naughty. Just generally Just being naughty, stuff. yeah, yeah, just kid yeah. stuff, being naughty. Nothing really terribly bad but just at the time, you know, uh, discipline was very strong and, uh, yeah, I, I used to – I learned how to get the cane <laughs> without it hurting too much, <laughs> you know. So you'd, you'd put one finger up a bit higher so you only got it on one finger. So you had one sore finger but the rest Rather of the hand than was, a whole hand. Yeah, exactly. Smart. Yeah, Smart. so, uh, yeah, I, I look back on that and think it was a, a disappointment to myself really in some ways but – I, I also believe, without being too mystic meg about it, that you know you're meant to do something, and if you actually get to fulfil that something, whatever it is, whether it be racing or journalism or mm. whatever, if you get to do it and you actually really enjoy it, you're very lucky. So I look back and I think I'm, you know, lucky. Mm. Mm. Yeah, had, had the car bug bitten when you're in that school phase, or oh yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. Was that one of the distractions of? Yes, oh, yes I just yes. don't need to be at school here. I'd rather go and tinker with cars and look at cars. I didn't ever think I shouldn't be at school because you just went to school. But I, I my dad was a mechanic, a motor mechanic, and he always had race cars of some description, which back in those days, you know, might have been a, an MGTF with bigger carburetors and a ported, ported head or something, you know. It wasn't – they weren't exotics. But uh, so we always had a, a car in our garage uh, and it was just a little suburban house. I took my partner – that's what they call girlfriends now, don't I think they partners? Do. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think okay, the, so the uh, I took her to – Tassie recently to see my dad who just turned 90. Oh, well played. And I took her around all the places that I used to go, you know, so I mm. took her past my first girlfriend, Cheryl's house. and uh, Was Cheryl still there? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't stop. <laughs> I, I didn't stop. <laughs> I didn't knock on the door. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I took her up to the bluff where we used, you know, I, we my mates and I used to do handbrake spins on the grass to see how close to the cliff edge we could get without, without going, going over. over. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I took her past my original house, which which was, you know, where my dad had race cars. Mm. So he, he did other people's race cars, helped prep them, I guess you'd call it. And later he had his own. So, so I grew up with, the, you know, that all around me. We used to go to all the race meetings. We went to the very first Simmons Plains. When was that? Nineteen sixty, I think. Yeah, when it yeah. opened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we went to Long all the Longfords. I still remember, you know, being woken up at three o'clock in the morning, so by the old man, so that we could get into the track before they closed the, oh, the closed road roads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've got a lot, a lot cool. of a lot of memories. Yeah. You said about naughty kid before. Is there some story about pinching cordial bottles? Is there, what's the story? Oh, what yeah, is what no. is what's the story? There? Well, no, no. I, I well, there is two stories actually. Um, uh, we used to go to say, let's call it Simmons Plains, but we used to do it at Longford. We'd go to Baskerville too. My brothers and I would collect cordial bottles and cash them in at the empties at, at the shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah, I think you used to get sixpence each for them or something, and that was what. We went for. We didn't actually go to watch, watch the, the races or anything <laughs> like that. We went to get some money. So, you know, I was entrepreneurial in a very small way and still are in a very small way. So, uh, uh, but I did get into trouble once for, I had a paper round and uh, the guy who, who had the news agency that we used to, I used to go and do the paper round for was a guy called Frank Kirison. 
and his uh, establishment was about a kilometre away from the, the factory where they had uh, Coca-Cola and tea up, so it was not far up the road and part of my paper round was going past there on the way on the way back to the shop to, you know, whatever. And um, one day we were riding past and another guy and I on our push bikes finished the round and we noticed that the garage door was open and they had this truck, cordial truck, and it had like crates of cordial on it. So we knocked off a few Permanent, permanently bo- borrowed <laughs> bottles of Fanta because Fanta was new then. It was pretty good, you know. We thought, wow, this is good. So we probably, I don't know how many we took, but we got caught, basic bottom line is, and uh, I got into a shitload of trouble. I don't know whether you're allowed to say shit on yes, uh, podcasts. Yes, you okay. Yeah. You can pretty much do it. So that like. was my life of crime. It came to an end very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, probably, I might have ended up doing something else. I don't know. Cordial bottles lead to Coke bottles, lead to Fanta bottles. Yeah. Or who knows? Need to whatever. I might have robbed a bank. But could have I been didn't. a beverage entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Should have been. What was your first car? Or what was the first thing? Or the first thing you drove? Maybe before you had your first actual road car. I drove uh, lots of cars because my dad uh, encouraged us boys to to drive. So mm. we used to go for a say like our families did then. Sunday drive and he would let us all drive. So we'd sit, you know, when I was little, I'd sit on his knee and drive and do the gears and do the steering and he'd do the clutch and then later as I got taller, I'd do the whole thing. And I remember my younger brother, Robin, who um, he <laughs> we, uh, we used to play tricks on him, you know. We'd go, oh, look at that cow over there and he'd look at the cow when he was steering. He was only little and he... He'd turn the steering wheel as he looked. So we'd, he'd just about, oh, man, I'd have to grab the steering You know, like it's, it's crazy family memories. But, yeah, so I drove from a very young age, probably five or six years old. And uh, later on I used to drive my mum's. She had a, a two-tone FJ. So it was right at the Whoa. end of the FJs. Yep. And it had two-tone seats. It was very... Trick this, thing this is at like the time. Tasmanian trick. You yeah, know, no, it was is... very, you know, it's like having a Lamborghini now <laughs> or something like that with a black roof. You know, it was it was two-tone blue. It was 55, 1955. I think they changed in 55 or 56 or something. Anyway, she had one of those. And uh, I used to drive it up and down the drive. And it's a normal suburban block, not a not a rambling mm. castle driveway or something, you know, and I'd get it from first into top gear by the time I got to the top <laughs> of the driveway. So I had the addiction quite early, uh, although I had no intent to to be, a you know, a, a racing driver, mm. so so to speak. First actual road car? Or did but, you get your licence in maybe? Uh, I got my licence in a, an EK Holden that, my dad had. But did you fail first time? No, no. Oh, I, good. No, Not like I, Neil Crompton did. No, no, no. I I did it easy. I've been driving <laughs> since I was five. Yeah. Um, but it was Tassie too, you know, like probably the standard was not, It was probably Lucy. You just had to – they made you drive around the block and you had to do a hill start. That was it. Mm. So I knew how to do a hill start because I'd been taught how to do a hill start. So – um, my first car I had, I think, have we touched on this before, a Volkswagen? I had a Volkswagen. Oh, yes, Beetle. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, yeah, so that was without my parents' knowledge. So that's a, a long and involved story. But um, the first car that I had that was 
that was known to my parents was was a I bought this EK holding off my dad, and he it was just a it was a nice nice original car, mm. and uh, he made me. Um, you know, made me pay it off, and I can't remember how much money it was. And then I lowered it, and I put twin carbies on Ooh, it. Look at that! Yeah, extractors and oh. and all that sort of stuff that people did then. It's funny. So many people now see you race the Tirana in the Touring Car Masters, but knew you for racing Fords for so many years in V8s and Sierras, and, yeah. and stuff like that. So the, a lot of the fans feel you're a Ford man. They do, yeah. But yeah. They, they just can't get their head around the whole. They well, still you're can't. Tirana, but you had a hold in history Absolutely. way back when. Yeah, way they, back and when. they still can't. I mean, I have comments quite often about you know you're in the wrong car or whatever. But you know, I mean. My dad was a after he stopped being a mechanic was a salesman at the, the Holden dealership in Tassie then and for many years was called Motors Proprietary Limited and it was owned by the Nettlefold family and they had branches in every reasonably sized town or city uh, so they the head office was Hobart and they had Launceston Devonport Alveston Burnie and he went and was a salesman there. Mm. When Holden owned the world, you know, yeah. I mean, they owned the huge. world. They were their Massive. market share was huge. Mm. Mm. So, you know, he worked there as a salesman for many years. So, you know, us kids as little just around cars, little all kids, the time. yeah. And and yeah. if they had a new model come out, Ooh. you know, they they newspaper the showroom oh. and it had room for two cars in there, <laughs> and you know, you'd. You'd go down, have a sneak look at this brand new model. It was it was very exciting big as exciting a kid thing. because there wasn't much going on then. Mm. You know, there wasn't uh, no social media, very very basic television, very you know, no games, or no video games, video no games, nothing, no, no nothing. Right. So there wasn't much to do. Like you went outside as a kid and, you know, they, your parents would send you outside in the morning and you'd come back at night, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one worried about getting abducted or… Yeah, yeah, kick the footy, ride or your whatever. bikes. Yeah, ride your bikes, play marbles, whatever. whatever, you know, yeah, you'd yeah, be all yeah. over the place. Yeah. So it was different. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Now, in prep for this interview, yeah. I read it. Well, actually, Will Dale here informed me in a magazine that he found in 1977. So this stuns me that you retired. You've done a lot of racing since then. For, oh, a, for a retired bloke. I think it was just code for didn't have enough money at the time for the next car, but clearly you got over that hump because we're we're yeah, here and okay. there's about 40-odd years of history yes. after that. But <laughs> so, the, so racing for you, was it Formula V, Formula Ford? Like were you yeah, always yeah. going to be an open wheeler? Go oh, well, that's, or was it what was available? That, no, that was my dad. You know, he we, we were open wheeler people. He He – he had sports cars when he was young, when I was a little kid. Uh, like a, he had an MG TC sort of a special with a supercharger and a fiberglass body. That's the first car he had, first racing car. And then he had a uh, like a, a Lotus Eleven replica that a guy built in Launceston, and so on and so on. So eventually, he ended up with an Elfin, 
which started his relationship with Elfin, which started my relationship mm. with Elfin. So, uh, yeah, we just, you know, when when I started racing, I, it was we, him, my dad and I went to race meetings regularly and we talked to various people and, you know, about what I was going to race because he, after the Volkswagen story, which people have to listen to again on the earlier podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after that he said, you know, you, this is lunacy or something to that effect, well, I think we should get your racing car, I'll go your halves in it. So we went and talked to various people and we looked at various cars like you do. And a guy called Pat Stride was the father of Formula V in Tassie and, and uh, you know, his son does commentary still at uh, Simmons Plains in Baskerville. He's still involved in it. And his dad was the father of Formula V. So he started Formula V in Tassie. So he talked us into a Formula V. It's all his fault. It's his fault. Well, it is his fault, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so we bought a Formula V. And then open wheelers were, you know, what we did. I, I, I was never interested in touring cars or anything. When they were on the track, you know, we went and got a hot dog or something. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I was never interested. The only reason I became interested was way later when I had, I, I won the Gold Star, like the um, Australian Drives Championship, and the guy that sponsored me was a, a bloke called Chris Leach and he had a company called Lucky Nuts. Which people still snigger about to this day. They do, and they <laughs> used to make fun of it, but it was a product for cooking. Mm. Walnuts and almonds and stuff like that, and uh, he was a terrific bloke at the time. I mean, I couldn't have gone on without him. But he was going to, you know, he figured that he'd done what he wanted to do, as in terms of sponsorship and whatever and achievement. And uh, so I was about to be out of, uh, I was about to retire again. <laughs> so I thought, you know, the only way to go forward—that's forward as in F O R W. ARD, forward, not not forward the car, was to try and drive a touring car. So then I chased quite hard to, to get a touring car drive. So that, that's how it happened. Nowadays it's different. It is really different. I, mm. I, I don't like saying that because it makes you sound old. but It's true though. It it's is true. different. It's, it's very, very, yeah. very different. Like I, I, how I got to be a touring car driver was that I just brown-nosed my way around everybody until someone gave me a drive. <laughs> Doesn't make any difference for many others. I didn't have I didn't have any money and then no sponsorship to add to it, but that's how it happened, mm. you know, and that's how it happened forever and a day, really. Yeah, we will we'll drive. Mm. I can drive. I have no money, but can drive, which is kind yeah, of a bit that you. That I didn't even say that, but I, I guess my time in single seaters had, had shown people because. People were more discerning than you reckon when you're that age, when you're younger. Mm. They notice more than you and, and obviously I could drive to some degree. So so I got to drive mm. and it was with Volvo and uh, uh, in 1986 and it's funny because I went down to the historic Phillip Island and I, you know, I, I was going to race but my friend Joe, whose car I was going to race, was sick so we decided not to do it. So I spent quite a lot of time with John Shepherd. And Chepo um, basically gave me my first drive mm. in a touring car. You know, I mean, Mark Pitch gave me the first opportunity, which was in 85 at Bathurst, but to join the series was, was you know, Chepo's doing. Mm. So, so, so you, you went Vs, Formula Fords, 
Formula, Formula three, 3. Formula 2. Formula 2. Formula 5000. 5, um, Formula Pacific. Yes. You know, Atlantic, Montreal, whatever, the yeah. 80s, whatever it was called. Yep. A couple of Australian drivers' championships along the way there through there. So probably before we get to Volvo, though, F5000, all those things like to drive, those elephants. Well, I gave – I I actually um, did the Formula 2 and the 5000 at the same time. Mm. Um, yeah, it'd be like these days kind of doing S5000 and – Formula Ford or Formula Three or something like that at the same time. Yeah, it would be jumping probably. between yeah, the two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. It was just an opportunity. But um, it was the relationship with Gary Cooper that, uh, we, who was Elfin, that brought it on, and he, you know, he took a shine to me. And without, truly, without him, I wouldn't have. I would have been retired in 1977. What was the thing that – I'd like to ask people this. Along the way, there's people who make the difference that help you get to the next yeah, yeah. tier and that stuff. What did he What did he see in you? What do you think he, um, he thought that he was getting? I think he thought he, I thought? was uh, – I think he thought he liked us. He was a very shy, retiring kind of guy. You know, he wasn't a noisy character. Um, and he'd seen me race – you know, we had a, a – a, Great flock of elfins, you know, all the, those cars that we just mentioned before were all elfins, all elfins. So we used to, you know, I, I used to call him almost daily, you know, just to chew the fat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to yarn about stuff. And, and I'd, he'd seen us, me drive elfins and, and I had a Formula 3 Elfin 700 with a little Ford engine. I think this is what sparked it. I may be wrong because, he passed away a long time ago when he was very young. But um, I had an Elfin 700, which wasn't fashionable. I think it was only about three of them made. And a Ford engine, which wasn't fashion- fashionable. And Brian Sampson, who fortunately still with us, Peter Macro still with us, mm. and Brian Sheedy, who isn't, mm. were the kings of Formula 3. And they came over to Baskerville and I was clearly faster than them, mm. clearly so you had reference points then yeah, that, yeah, that people yeah. would go, ah, yeah. You, if you could beat them. Yeah, hmm. so I think that's what – I mean, Gary was always interested in us because I guess we bought stuff off him, you know, parts and bits and pieces. We'd never bought a new car until a bit later. Uh, and then that produced the, you know, the interest. And he, he took me over to Adelaide. They were sponsored by ANSET, ANSET Team Elfin. It was a big deal. Mm, you know, mm. He took me over. It was like getting invited to a, if you say you lived in UK, it'd be like getting invited to test for Tyrrell or someone, mm, you know. Mm. So he took me to Adelaide. Dad came with me and I, I had a test drive in the 5000. So, you know, I remember clearly it was when Elvis died. 77? Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, yes. It was the, the day. Oh, the day of. The, the day of. So yeah. you, you – so you, where were you when the – because, yeah. I mean, bit slightly before my time, but yeah, people will well remember. Time, they remember well, they remember where JF, when JFK, JFK was killed, yes, yes. when Elvis died. Yeah, yeah, there's a where John Lennon – when John Lennon yeah. got shot, yeah. So yeah. were you at the track? I was at the track, AIR. And in those days it's not like you just checked Twitter to find this stuff no, out. You didn't, no, it was so, on the news, Yeah, on the radio. And, yeah, we, and Gary, Gary had a, a Datsun 240K – which were quite a good car, and we were driving out to the track in this for your big test, and you're from all a big test, yeah. And I mean, I'm, then- yeah. Well, I was, I was nervous as buggery, and I, and I had a pain in the stomach, and you know, I was in, in a real state. 
<laughs> you know, because my dad always, uh, you know, hosed me down. Like it was always, you know, don't do anything stupid. Uh, you know, there's no she- – his favourite saying was there's no sheep stations at stake here, you know, like just, just enjoy yourself, do your yeah. best, whatever, but don't do anything stupid. Now, I have done the odd stupid thing in a car for sure, which I'm sure people will know about, but, you know, I was always quite moderated, tried to be anyway. And, yeah, anyway, so I drove the 5,000. I drove it reasonably well. It wasn't any, like, lap time stuff or anything. And then later on he gave me an opportunity. It wasn't that year, though. It was uh, it was 78 or 79 when I actually raced it. Mm. I can't remember. But, yeah, and, and we had a – he told me or told us that we should sell the 700 and he'd build a new car for us and if we paid for the car – He'd make the engine. It was when the the single camshaft Formula Two was about to start, so it was going to be a seven eight two, but in true Gary fashion, it was a seven nine two because it took, took a year longer than it was supposed to, <laughs> supposed to take. But that was normal. <laughs> so we had to rewind there, but let's go back um, mm-hmm. to Volvo Land. So as yeah. you said, you drive with Robbie Francovic in the Enduros for Mark Petch in 85. Mm-hmm. The Volvo dealer team comes on board the next year with the white cars with Robbie yep. and then you're on board, Petch is out, Shepo's in. Um, I think you debuted at Adelaide. Adelaide, yeah. So, so we're talking Adelaide International Raceway here for those who are <laughs> yep. perhaps a bit younger who just think of the, the street track. Yeah. This is the, the AIR that Bob yeah, Jay known for years. On the, had I a think big, the, long, huge straight. Yes, that absolutely. If you went off on it, you were yep. still going, yep. still going. Yeah, I went off uh, in the Viscander. I was going to talk to you about later on, but uh, you're yeah. ruining all my segues. Yeah, here. sorry, sorry. <laughs> Segway, I love that word. Uh, yeah, so uh, I did uh, the debut. Was it? Um, AIR and it was probably the third round of it was a couple or of rounds, fourth yeah. round. I think it was fourth round. Yeah, yeah, of the championship. So yeah, and I was on I was on the front row. So, um, I suppose in today's terms, if you turned up at the supercar meeting and you you hadn't Straight out. raced before in a touring car sort of thing, and and you're on the front row, you'd get huge acclaim, I guess, wouldn't you? Mm. But but mm. not then really, because mm. it was it was. I think you finished fourth in Adelaide and then you're on the front row in Perth and I was on pole. And you led. Yeah, yeah. In Adelaide I outbraked myself in the first turn so I ran out of talent very early. (laughs) And in Perth, which is the week later, I I was on pole. So, Mm. And Brocky led the race off the start. We never did anything like practice starts or anything. So you just just in and like whatever you do, rev it up and drop the clutch. And, uh, yeah, so I passed him in the end and, and led and comfortably led and then, and then the car broke down. I can't remember. I think something happened to the ignition or something. Mm. Anyway, yeah. What was Francovic like? Because oh. he only appeared here for a brief period. It's a bit prior to my time. But mm. he won the championship that year. So we can, we can tell what happened there and how and then it all turned to crap later in the year, but uh, what was he like? Because I get the impression he was a difficult dude. Well, he was um, – I always got on fine with him, but he was difficult, yeah, yeah. People found him difficult, um, certainly. Just h- hard to relate to or intense uh, very, or rude? Very, or? No, just very intense and quite temperamental to, to, to my – this is my view. I'm watching from the outside seeing this stuff. Uh, I was – Clearly, the number two driver. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, very. 
you know, he, he, he was incredibly temperamental. So if things weren't going his way, he was very – he'd spit the dummy very easily. Um, and Mark Pitch was friends with him and, and probably still is and knew how to handle him. And they would argue flat out, like incredible arguments, like shouting arguments. And Robbie would storm out the back and come back 10 minutes later and get in the car and go really well. So you reckon it was a thing he needed to get <clears> himself <throat> yeah. up and up and going, up and fired? I think so, yeah. Yeah, me being an amateur psychologist <laughs> 30 years later. Uh, when Shepo came along, he was very order, ordered, very orderly and ran everything with an iron fist and, and you know, his record speaks for itself. You know, he, he was a very good team manager, mm-hmm. team team boss uh, and he wouldn't allow any of this stuff to happen. So Robbie lost his mojo. Mm. So as I said, being an amateur psychologist, I think like Robbie won the championship through consistency. He had those early races where he he won some races and then later on he tapered off and he was not competitive, very competitive anyway. Uh, Yeah, so and that's how the whole demise of the team came about. But But before the the team demised, you actually – because am I right in remembering that at Lakeside you gave up your car for him to drive because he's had a problem? So had you not done that, he doesn't win the championship. No, the I suppose not. Scored, I, I, so you, you, you did your bit to help out there. Yeah, well, I probably have never thought, thought of it like that, to be honest. But, yeah, he uh, – I mean, I they the second car was a, a right-hand drive car that the factory had in Sweden as a test car. So it was the only right-hand drive car ever made except the one Shepo built later. Mm. So uh, – I think it was when Mark Pitch was still involved, him and Chepo went to Monza, saw all the factory people. They were racing in the European Touring Car Championship, managed to get this car and it came out and I drove it at Adelaide. So it was a brand-new car with test mileage. Um, so then we went to Perth and I was on pole and led the race. I, you know, could have, would have, should have, could have won the race. Mm. So in my second Touring Car race, I could have won the race, mm. but I didn't. Um, and then Robbie wanted the car because it was better, obviously. <laughs> or he's, I'll, I'll, I'll have what he's having. Or he saw it as being better. So he took the car and then I had the left-hand drive car, which was the older car, which was built in, in 84. Uh, and then at Lakeside, I can't remember what happened to his car, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I said to Shepo, oh, look, I'll, he can, Robbie can have my car. You know, I mean, I just thought it was the right thing to do. Mm. So, Worked out right. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. So so he wins the championship. Yeah. But then... The Sandown 500 comes. Yeah. And, and mid-weekend, he br- – so the reigning ch- – so just pitch – I mean, it's a bit different now because the championship counts for all the races right through Sand the Sandown Bathurst wasn't in Back it in those then, days it yes. wasn't. But it would be like the, the champion of supercars 
on the eve of leading the championship on the eve of the first endurance race, if we had more than one, which we should, but that's another story. Yes. Um, <laughs> having a massive spat with his team and walking out. Yes. But what, what happened? Well, it's not walking out. Memory, he, it all blew apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't walk out. He was sacked. Mm. There's no. Well, he had to walk out after he was sacked. He, so. Yes. There's no question. So what, about what, what happened that weekend? From, from well, it was it was a build up because. Uh, John Shepard, as as the Volvo dealer team, had decided to build a car locally, so they sourced, you know, a, a body shell was actually a road car, and they got all the bits in a great big wooden crate from Sweden. Uh, it was a f- proper factory thing, mm. you know, and and but he built it out of a local car, and as all race cars seem to be, it was late, and so. Practice on Friday at Sandown for the Sandown 500. Uh, didn't the card wasn't there? So Not Robbie's finished. wasn't there. But yours was. No, mine wasn't either. Oh, right. They were not there. The car was, is, no, no, there's, zero there's no two, car there. Right? So we're out at Sandown, all waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like I've said before. Robbie had quite a short fuse, and he's, you know, really getting agitated about all this. And it was because of my car which was allocated to me, uh, being late, that, that, that... Everything was late. Everything was late, yeah. So, you know, the cars were based at Calder. They had a factory out there. And eventually it turned up about 4.30 or something on Friday afternoon and they unloaded it and put it in the, you know, unloaded and put it in the garages, which is still the same garages mm. as now. Mm. And... Robbie, this is my memory, so maybe if someone knows a better story than this, they can write in or something, mm-hmm. but uh, this is how I remember it. Robbie uh, marches into the garage and kicks the door of my car, my brand new brand car. Brand spanker. Yeah, which they've really, they've all, you know, as they've worked like three days straight with no sleep to get it ready to take to the track. So he puts this big dent in the door because the, the cars were quite special cars. You know, they were the doors were a light gauge and the the wind the um, the panels were special panels and you know they were there was plenty going on in the group A. Yeah, homologation like specials they were yeah. and and you know they had plastic headlights when no one had plastic headlights. Mm. So it was they were quite trick cars. Uh, anyway. The long and the short of all this was as Shippo, and I'm not sure how it all played out in words, but I'm guessing it was fruity. I, I imagine so. Uh, as Shippo sacked him at the event on the spot. At the event on the spot, yeah. And then they had a press conference, which I didn't go to. Like I was a junior, mm. you know, lucky to be there and happy to be there. And so. That's what happened, and then after that, I think he went to Bathurst with Mark Pitch. Had a got yeah, a Sierra, Sierra XR4i or something. Yeah, so Robbie was around for a bit longer after that. But yeah, that was unfortunately, and and I think that contributed to Volvo thinking very conservative company, and Volvo pulling the pin on the whole thing, saying you know bad publicity sort of thing. Mm. So. And I'd, I'd, I've never actually spoken to Shepo about it, to be honest. I, I just this is observations from the sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was very controversial. Uh, you would have a copy in your vault here. There'd be a magazine of motorsport news or auto, auto action, action or something, something yep. that has got that story because it was 
big news. Oh, when the reigning current champion is sacked mm. on the weekend of the first major yes. race, it's it's big news. <clears throat> well, what were those cars like to drive those Great. things? Like, I know you've talked about this, the skyline over the years and going, oh, not so good. Everyone will, would make jokes about the Oh, yeah, yeah. But was as a car to, to drive, what was its strengths, what was its weaknesses, what sticks in your mind? Very good braking. Um, the, the the Volvo I thought was good, but you've got to understand I didn't know anything about anything. What did you have it to compare it to? I had to? nothing to compare it with. <laughs> you know, the early stages, and I think I've probably said this many times, um, the first year I drove with Robbie at uh, Bathurst, I, I was you know, mortified by the thing because it bounced and leapt and shimmied and <laughs> leaned over and, you know, all that stuff. And, and Alan Grice helped me out, you know, he... He drove me around and said, this is what it's going to do here. He'd never driven a Volvo, but he's very proficient in touring cars. And, you know, so the next day I was fine with it. But, you know, I just – driving a single-seater is very – you know, I, I, I think people should drive single-seaters personally because I think it makes them better drivers. But Yeah, the, but purpose. they are very – you know, if they understeer, they don't understeer badly and if they <laughs> oversteer, they don't oversteer badly and they certainly don't lean no, or anything not like, not like, like that. an 80s touring car. No, not like an 80s Group A Volvo. So anyway, I'll always be very grateful for Gricey for that because – you know, it put my mind at ease and then I just got in it and drove it. So uh, it was a good good car. Like the called around of that first season, 86, I was leading that too. Uh, and I I could have won that, could have, would have, should have. <laughs> so I could have won the first two rounds of, that I'd ever been in. Mm. But or the third, first two out of three. Two out of three ain't but bad. But it, it ran out of uh, petrol in the last lap. Oh, they'll do it. So, so it started to sputter and, I, and you know, I, I finished but I can't remember where, I think third or fourth. But, yeah, so it was really good to drive, really good. But it was – it was, it would have only been good the next year because the next year by Bathurst the RS500 Sierras had turned up and they reinvented Group mm, A mm. to, to – Move the market. Way, 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 yeah, way, way beyond. But – Early '87, they would have been quite competitive with mm. the with the normal Sierras, with the Nissans still, because they were still competitive, and you know, so they were actually a good car. But it was a f- proper factory developed car. Volvo had a motorsport department, mm. and it was a really clever car. Because uh, didn't you drive that car in more recent times? Mm. In I don't know, a couple of years back, mm. that's been restored in the Volvo dealer team livery, and that was the later car. That was the new one, the controversial one. The that one that Robbie kicked. Robbie kicked, yeah, yeah. So I, Mark Pitch ended up buying it, found it somewhere in Sweden. I think it went back to Sweden. Both the three Every, cars, yeah, everything, was everything went back, back yeah. to Sweden because I. It I, sounds a bit like Gary Rogers. What he had later on. With I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suspect that the factory, and I didn't. I've never asked. So you're, you're triggering things in my mm. poor brain here, but um, I think. They probably owned it all and so it all just went back because I know Neville Crichton tried to buy it and tried to get Volvo interested in keeping it, keeping involvement mm. and they didn't and wouldn't and it all just packed Gone. up and went back to, to Sweden. So Mark Pitch bought it back, the last car. He also bought the other one. He found the other one. So he's still got that too. And he restored it all and he bought it over to Phillip Island, gave trouble. I raced it. Um it went okay, but it, it was troublesome because mm. it was new mm. and 
nowadays on turbo cars in Group A, you're allowed to put a modern day engine management on them, which generally fixes lots of the ills. That and, and it did. It had a, a MoTeC on it, but it wasn't right. So we we had a bit of drama, you know, over the weekend. But it went okay. Mm. Went okay. I remember having quite a a good battle with various people mm. in the races. It's certainly no Sierra, that's no, for sure. No. But uh, but uh, early on, like Friday practice, I'm coming over Lukey Heights and down into the MG is, I don't know what they call it now, but it's maybe it's Maguire's it Corner. I still call it that. You call it what you like, really. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it kept locking the rear brakes, locking the rear brakes, locking the rear brakes. And in the end, I'm trying to go faster, obviously, and I've spun under brakes with the rear brakes lock. I've gone back to Mark and I said, Mark, you know Bathurst in 1986, this car locked the rear brakes constantly. <laughs> Still doing it. Constantly. This is what? No one could fix it. 30 years old. 30 years later, it's still got the same bloody problem. Can you get someone to fix it, please? So little Randall Edgell, who was back in the day, was there mm. with Mark. And so he's climbed under the dash, all the pedal boxes up under the dash, the master cylinders are all... And he's p- pulled all this stuff out and it had the wrong, you know, the master cylinders back to front. Don't tell me that it was like that the whole time ever. Yes. <laughs> so 30 years later, the problem solved. And it was it was a beauty after that because it, it, part of its strength, you know, it, not this particular car but the other right-hand drive car that I'd raced quite a bit, was it was really good under braking. You know, it would transfer its weight nice and, you know, it was good. So anyway, I had a good weekend and then later I went over to New Zealand, raced it at Hampton Downs. Yeah. And uh, I'd forgotten how they were very inclined to to stand up on two wheels when you had really good tyres on them. I'd forgotten all that. Too much grip. Too much grip and too narrow on the and, track and, and too high yeah, and, you yeah, know, whatever, the, yeah. The, the, There's lots of laws. block of flats and all the stuff. Yeah, block called. of flats. That's what Dick used to call them. Yeah. Yeah, this block of flats in front of me. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, a block of flats now is like 30 stories high, isn't yeah. it? But back then <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Um, he's, uh, so we've got to – I've had a practice at Hampton Downs, great little track, one of Tony Quinn's tracks, and it was fun. You know, it was a group A – and super touring. Mm. Now, those super touring cars were trick cars mm. and they were faster. But I, Jimmy Richards was driving the 635 with a four valve engine. The Group C car. Group C yeah. car. And him and I had a, you know, good battle. And I mean, he, I'm a huge admirer of him, you know, so it was fun. And uh, so I've put these new tyres on. Mark was, you know, reticent to spend the money. But anyway, I insisted we had new tyres for Collie. And, uh, so I've warmed the tyres up like you do as you learn as you go along, you know, and, and I've fired off onto my first lap and I've got to this about halfway around the lap and there's a corner called uh, Double Bastard. That's Tony Quinn called it that. So I don't know whether it's officially called Double Bastard or what. But if, but hey, if he owns a track and he calls it that. Because of whatever he likes, yes, yes. Anyway, I got to the first part of the Double Bastard and I've fired in there and it's stood up on two wheels and I honestly thought it was going to tip over on its roof. Are we talking 45 degrees? Yeah, angle? yeah, way up, way oh, up. Geez. Yeah, yeah. So I've had to steer the thing down. You know, so it's a left-hander. I've steered it down to the right. 
it's dropped back down. So I thought, oh, right, I'd better reevaluate all this. And I've gone around again, started a laugh again. But yeah, so it was, I think probably the tyres are better nowadays than yeah. they were then, too, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, but I had some great fun, really good fun. It's uh, a short period, but it's well remembered by so many people because it was the bit that. That got you started in the in the touring car stuff, which what what the general public were were viewing more so than the sports cars. Oh, absolutely! The, the if you if you look at any of the old footage, television footage, and you see the crowds, they were big crowds. Mm. You know, I, I don't know whether they even counted crowds then, but they were oh, big. I'm sure crowds. they knew. I'm but, sure they knew because it meant how many tickets they'd sold. And yeah, how many dollars probably they made, so, so. Yeah, so it was it was a you know, and because it, it had lots of variety, you know, it had. Uh, that first year, Dick had his Mustang. There were BMWs for Africa, you know, like lots of people. Had yeah, Alphas, Alphas, Commodores, yeah, lots Mitsubishi's. of Mitsubishi's, yes, lots of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. lots of brands, and it was everyone had an interest in it. And you know, on television, that was really the only motor racing that was on television. So and once Channel Seven got behind it and grabbed mm. the touring car rights, mm. they had Bathurst and. It was sort of naturally stitched it all together. I remember, right, you right. know, the lakeside race where uh, I where I gave up my car. I think Wilco came climbing out of the lake. I think you know yes. they always had a story. Yes, yes. <laughs> they, they, all those opening hostings. Yeah, they, they were just the, they were so uh, funny. The, you know, so uh, funny. The casino on the Gold Coast. Yes, and, and the uh, oh, I think Wilco was a jockey at Sandown one day. Was he, and, and I think he came out of the desert at Wanneroo, yeah, or you know, like yeah, it was really hot air balloons at Amaru, and it was all new stuff. You know, anyway, groundbreaking things. Yeah, it was. You mentioned earlier, and um, I, I don't think we covered off this much in our chat a few years back. It's a while ago, so if we've repeated anything, <laughs> we're very sorry and didn't mean to. Yeah. The Viscander. Tell yeah. me about the origins of the Viscander. It's one of the coolest sports cars of the 80s in Australia. Yeah, yeah it was. Well, it was the what coolest, got, What yeah. got you connected into that? And how uh, that what got me connected was um, K&A Engineering, um, Dale Conarchy and Harry Ost. They, that's who K&A were. Uh they built this car for Bernie Van Elsen, who was a sports car racer. He had a Bowell, a Bowell Nagari sports car that K&A had done a lot of work on. They were very clever, mm. you know, right, really dead in set. South Australia. Dead set clever, yeah. They were part of, in the, at that era, you know, there was a lot of South Australian motor racing going Cause, on. Because Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper was South Australian. South Australian. It, was a, it was a pretty decent-sized hub. Of, yeah, it was, yeah. People, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how... How I got connected, I'd asked them about. Uh, I don't know how did, I got did, connected. Hang on, I've got, a, I've got a theory. Sorry. Let's see if this reminds it. Did you go to? Oh no, that, I think this was already after they they helped you with something with the Volvos, but I think you were already in the Viscander yes. by that stage, which is why you knew to go and have a talk. Uh, in eighty six, they we went when the car came from Sweden, and I went to Adelaide Raceway. It didn't have a front anti roll bar on it for some reason. Whether they didn't send it, or attach whatever. it, I don't have know. One I don't know. But anyway, it obviously it needed one, and uh, and I asked Shepo, could I get K and A to? K-? So I rang them, and they came out and measured it up and made one for it. So then I got on pole, uh, the front row, which wasn't pole, but it was the front row. Because in those days it was three, two, three. Yeah, three, two, three. Yeah. I, I don't tell people that. I just, <laughs> I just say I, I was <laughs> I on was the on front, front row, row, and everybody thinks I was second, <laughs> but I was actually third. Um, yeah, and uh, so I knew them, but I knew Dale quite well 
because he used to work at Elfin. Mm. So I don't, I don't quite know. But anyway, Bernie, they built this car. And it was cool. And it was really a cool. terrific car. And they asked me to test it to help help sort it out. Uh, and Bernie went along with it. And, and I think they probably thought that Bernie wouldn't be up to it in terms of driving. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But anyway, I was just happy to drive it. Mm. First time we drove it, it broke the the, uh, the studs. It was a three-piece wheel, like a like a BBS. It wasn't a BBS. It was a Simmons, I think. And it wasn't up to the downforce. And the down the uh, bodywork and tunnels and whatnot had been devised by the Murphy brothers, who were very well credentialed motorsport people been to America, mm, been in Indy cars and Trans Am, yeah. uh, not Trans Am, Can Am mm. with VDS and whatever. So, you know, the car had a lot of downforce and it broke the studs. So I've gone off the track and turn one at AIR and hit the bank like some ferocious speed and um, got half trapped in the thing. And so that put the debut off for another six or eight months while they fixed it bent all the monocoque in the front and whatnot. And then they, I don't know, they just decided I was going to drive it. I think they just told Bernie, you know, I mean, Bernie was paying the bills and they were making the car. He pay, he drives, yeah, yeah. we'll win. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it was a great, terrific car. It was obviously better than everything else around at the time. It stepped the level. Yeah, yeah it did, yeah. Right yeah it probably caused the demise of sports car racing for 10 years after mm. that. But And what, engine? It had a Chevy. So it had it was first like a five point. No, no. Originally had a five liter uh, iron headed thing. You know, old fashioned mm. Chevy. And then eventually they put a, you know, a stroker kit in. So it ended up being a, a three fifty, a six liter. But no, no, not mega power. But mm. at the time it had five hundred and twenty or thirty horsepower. Something. It's light. It's got good aero. Oh, a good aero. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just incredible to drive in the wet. I mean, in the wet. The rooster tails used to come out of the back of the car and go straight up in the air, like 90 degrees. I don't know what that means in aerodynamic terms. but It goes up quick. Yeah, it was, it was like it was just unbelievable to drive in the wet. It was so fast. And you won the yeah. national championship in it. Yeah, I won everything. Eight, you pretty much were the dominant. Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah. If you didn't win it, we would have probably been worried because it was It was just – uh, yeah, it was a great time. I mean, and they were terrific blokes. Bernie's a great bloke, still a great bloke. Dale and Harry, great fellas, you know. they were, And they were serious but fun. And, you know, we Dale used to – he would give me – and I think we've probably done this before, but uh, he would let me – he used to call me the driver – <laughs> the driver Cap- is capitalised. Yeah, no, the driver is allowed to have one gear ratio change for the weekend. He wouldn't do it any other time. Like he would do you, if I'd you say got your one, you pick when you want it and don't I, stuff it up. If I'd say because I'd come out of open wheelers, so you're constantly fiddling with gear ratios. If I'd say, look, I need a taller second and a lower third or a taller top or whatever, he would say, okay, you sure about this? I'd sit there and study the gear charts for like an hour and make sure I was right because he wouldn't do it again. That was it. That was it. He would do it once. <laughs> so it was just good fun. And, and you know, later the car was parked in the corner. So from 19 – Dick and I drove it at Sandown in 88 when they the World Endurance. World Endurance, yep. yeah. Uh, and then it was parked in the corner until 2000. Hmm. So it sat – under a dust cover for 12 years. Because we should cover too quickly. So for those who don't know, and I keep saying these because I forget that we have 
younger listeners who might not have been around. Yeah. So Sandown held a round of the World Sports Prototype Championship as it was in 84. That's where they lengthened the track on the mm-hmm. infield. Mm-hmm. They, they lost a lot of money, the light car club at the time. I think it sent them broke, didn't it? It just about did. Yeah. And then in 88, they came back and did it again, yes. which went pretty much the same way. Yes. And there were the silk cut Jags, the Sauber Mercedes. Like they were mega trick sports yes. cars of the yes. period that ran at Le Mans. Jags had won at Le Mans that yeah. year. But the Viscanda, which, you know, wasn't part of kind of that, but it fit into a class for the race. And you and Dick ran the car. I think you finished like seventh or eighth or something. Oh, we got disqualified. But there was, you, got, you got booted because at the time there was like a really rigid fuel, fuel consumption. Yeah, you was, could only use a certain amount of literage yes. for, the, for the race, yes. which you guys. Couldn't do. Couldn't do. We couldn't make it. No, no matter what. So we were basically going to run out of fuel. So the boys uh, took the decision to tip a bit more in and that was, you know, that was. Finish the race but get booted. Forbidden. And so, yeah, so we finished the race. (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was, it was, the cars were awesome cars, but but the rules were crazy, Mm. you know, like it was all about. Uh, lift and coast, which everybody talks about now, you know, to save fuel and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's not not racing, no, not no. racing really. Not when you got to do it all the time to make it through the race. Yeah, like say you'd get to say you'd, the car would break at the one hundred and fifty mark, well, you'd lift off at two hundred and coast in and then put the brakes on. You know, it was like it's like driving to the supermarket. Yeah. It's it's too it was stupid. When you see historic Group C now in Europe. They don't have fuel consumption, so they really on it, mm. you know. So it's how it should have been mm. back then. But mm. the rules, you know, rules aren't always correct. No. <laughs> Funnily enough, <laughs> <laughs> sound like you've been in racing for a while. Yeah, Fifty years. Uh, so the Viscanda yeah. sat around for a while, and then it came back. Yeah, and ran in historics, and it like Paul Stubber ended up. I think it went to Le Mans, didn't it? Ah, uh, well, he it's, took it over there. it's a funny, uh, funny story because in two thousand, Bernie rang me, and I mean. He, I remember where I was when he rang me. He said, would you drive the, the he called it the candy car, uh, would you drive it at Phillip Island Historics? Because, I mean, he's quite a smart bloke and he thought if we, if we drove it and it looked good, he'd sell it, mm. which is what happened, <laughs> you know. So I'd go, yeah, I, I would, I'd love to drive it as long as K&A prep it. Mm. It's know. been sitting around for the best part of Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, they are very, you know, they were, and I'm sure they still are, very... Uh, safety minded, you know they they didn't want to kill anybody, so to speak, and so they prepped it, and I turned up and had the same seat that I Still had fit. in nineteen eighty six. Uh, yeah, yeah, same everything, same everything. God. And uh, we couldn't get tyres. Well, they put Goodyear radials on it. Back in the day, it had so much downforce at the back that Dunlop Russell Stuckey. Instigated this. Dunlop in Japan made special tyres for it because it pushed down yes. so far because of the downfall. Because it needed mega strong sidewalls. Because it would otherwise crush down, It'd squash and it down, and the, 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 blow them out. Well, it wouldn't blow them out, but it just was Put too much wobbled, wobbled around too much. Yep. Uh, I've never been into cars that wobble too much, to be honest. No, <laughs> I don't like wobbling. I don't like like wobbling. Anyway, uh, I drove it on these Goodyears at, 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 uh, on the Friday. At, Philip Island Historics in 2000, so we're talking 22 years ago, mm. and it was bloody petrifying, like it was white knuckle stuff. Well, well, Philip Island wasn't a racetrack in the time that that car raced. No, it wasn't. It, it, no. Was, it was. It had never of, gone that fast because at Sandown it wouldn't go as fast as it does at Philip Island, as in top speed. 
And so at the end of the front straight at Porpoise, which if you watch the Formula it One thing. Formula One speed, yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, at Porpoise like crazy, your eyes would go out of focus and the rear was so unstable you felt like it was just about to jump over the fence. And you agreed to do this. Yeah, so I'm thinking what have I done? And then I, I went to see Russell who was, has been at every Phillip Island historic meeting I've ever been to and most other race meetings I've ever been to. And I said, you know those ties that, that you guys used to make for the Vescanda? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, you wouldn't happen to have any, would you? No. So this is from 86 he got them done and 2000, so 14 years later, and he's got some. What? He, just, rang, just, he <laughs> rang his shop in uh, Brunswick <laughs> or wherever it is. Sydney Road, and and he said, yeah, no, we've got some, so I'll get them down tonight. So he got them down, to, you know, that night, and the tyres were – so the car was beautiful the next day, like absolutely fixed it. Paid to hang on to those, Absolutely, didn't it? absolutely. Cool. So it was really good, funny story. So uh, we had a great time. And then um, Bernie sold it. He sold it to John Briggs, funnily right. enough, right. Yeah, 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 who yeah. we touched on last podcast. We did touch on that last podcast. hundred and whatever time uh, – Podcasts ago, we could go back to what if you haven't yeah. heard JB's chat about his John Briggs <laughs> Motorsport era, go back to it one at the end of this app and you'll hear. Yeah, so uh, then Briggsy raced it a few times. Uh, he got uh, Kenny Mack to build a Kenny Sup- McNamara who runs KRE that does the does all triple eight the triple eight engines is going to do stuff. the new Gen three yep. uh, Chevy engines. He built a super engine for it, like a. You know, seven hundred horsepower engine. Where, where it didn't have anything like that when I drove it, um, and he raced it for quite a while. He he, I, he went quite well in it, I think. Uh, and then Paul Stubber bought it, and Paul wanted to take it to Europe because Group C racing over the historic yeah. is quite Elig- quite car big. Eligible, cars right? eligible. It was yeah. built to Group C regs, but over there they allow you to run modern wheels and tires and modern brakes and things. So. He ended up with 18-inch wheels on it, um, you know, Michelin-style Group C tyres that they make for modern-day mm. Group C racing. Uh, and he took it over and he went quite well. Like, he, he's a – Paul was a good driver, mm. you know, and, and uh, he went quite well. And now it's back in Perth, I believe, but it can't race here because uh, Motorsport Australia don't recognise it in its new form because it's – Because it didn't race like that. Didn't race like that. So if you want to race it, you'd have to – Put 16-inch wheels and to, so on and so on. Right. And it's got uh, – you know, how they would view the engine management and the fuel injection, I'm not sure. But anyway, I know that, you know, he wanted to race it at Phillip Island or whatever several times and, and it wasn't allowed. Right. Whether that's the case nowadays or not, I'm not sure. But, yeah, it's a, it was a great car. The good news it's, is it's around. It, it's, exists. It's, it's, it still exists. Cool. There was another one made that I think might have raced once or something, but it's, mm. no one's, you know, it's lost, disappeared in someone's Might shed. need some sleuthing, JB. It could need some sleuthing mm. because mm. – and there was another one well, much later that they built, three-quarters built, as a road car. Ah. Uh, with, a, I, I think, an LS engine or something, but I don't think it was ever finished. So, yeah, it might need a bit of sleuthing. A bit of sleuthing, it's a thing. Because the, the, uh, the second one that was race raceable would still be raceable, I suspect. If it hasn't been 
modified. Yeah, if it hasn't been raced. Yeah, yeah, if it hasn't been chopped up or you know, a lot of those cars were turned into sports sedans and things too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so and it'd be good to see. I mean, the it was a great car. Like those guys were smart. You know, they were clever. It was a really, really good car. Very stiff in the chassis. It was still aluminium. It wasn't no carbon or anything. But but a very they were clever blokes. Yeah. Mm. And that's part one of my chat with John Bow. I hope you enjoyed listening to some of those great stories from over his amazing career. And the best part is we're not done. Part two is to come next week. To give you a little bit of a taste, we talk about his time at Brad Jones Racing. We talk about what it was like finishing second to Lap of the Gods. Gee, he loves that topic. Uh, JB's massive crash with the Coe in 2006. A change he'd like to make to the Touring Car Masters regulations. A Bathurst drive that he turned down, which quite frankly, put me on the floor. I could not believe that I'd not heard this story. And he'll tackle your National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions as well. I really need to tell you that you really need to jump online and visit a website for me. It's bookshop.v8salute.com.au. It's got our amazing range of books and magazines, programs. We've got some pre-owned material on our uh, online store, which is just amazing. Magazines, programs, uh, books. It is simply sensational. You'll find some really great gems there, plus all the latest stuff, model cars, prints, DVDs, a bit of everything for the motorsport fan. Sign up to our newsletter through at the v8sleuth.com.au website as well. Follow us on the socials, you know the drill, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us a message. We love to hear from all of our V8 Sleuth followers. In the meantime, though, that's us done for this podcast. Part two of John Bauer is coming next week. Don't forget, Repco Supercars Weekly every Thursday and the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast every Tuesday. I'll chat to you soon. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.